happened until 1941. Uh, I will show you some pictures how I grew up, and it doesn't show much of the, the problems we had with Hitler and the Nazis at that time. So would you show some of the... Just for I am a, a child. Yeah. This is my little brother, Uwe, and me at my grandmother's house. Uh, in about 1939-40. And you can go to the next one. Uh, Okay. Hold that a minute. Uh, In 1941... Okay. Okay. In 1941... Can you hear me now? 1941, the situation changed in Germany. I also became aware a bit of what was going on. Okay. 1941 was a year that Hitler invaded Russia. Uh, My father had... My father had been cons- my father father had been conscripted into the army before 1941. He was sent to Belgium. Now he was forced into the army at the beginning of the war because he supported the Socialist Party. And the Socialist Party was one of the earliest victims of discrimination and persecution in Nazi Germany. The other parties were the Social Democrats, union leaders, uh, Mormons, anyone who was different. Later on, it were the ethnic groups, like the Jews and the Romas. Uh, My father was a pacifist, but he had no choice but to, to get into the army and go to Belgium. He stayed there until 1941. And then uh, I think he went for a little while to Luxembourg. During ni- 1941, my little brother died, Uwe, the one who was in the picture. He died of diphtheria, so did his little cousin in Husum. Uh, there was no penicillin available. Penicillin was a strictly guarded secret of the Allies, and Germans could not get a hold of it. They, the Germans used sulfur drugs, and similar, which had similar antibiotic effects. In 1941, we started to cover our windows with anything we could get a hold of. Up till then, we didn't have much shortage of food or anything. We had no tropical foods, and uh, this, that was our reality. I, as a child, didn't even know what a, an orange was unless I saw it written on a piece of paper, or, you know, where it was painted on. Uh, we were also issued gas masks, and everybody was fitted for one. 
our, our basements turned into sleeping quarters. And uh, the women, naturally, we had barely any men in the neighborhoods because they all were forced into the army and sent uh, to wherever, you know, wherever the war was. And it was in France, and it was now in Russia. We did not, in northern Germany, uh, we did not see many attacks because we had no industry. There was one thing we had, and that were refineries. We had the Deutsche Erdöl Aktiengesellschaft, which is now Texaco. It was a huge refinery, not, uh, and it was about, I would say, 15 miles from where we lived in Heide. The Allies tried to bomb that, and they did, but it didn't do any, not much damage to our town. In 1942, I entered the first grade, and I think I have a picture of that. Oh, this is a. Oh, yeah, that is. This is the Erdöl Aktiengesellschaft. At night, it is lit, and it's still there, naturally. The next one now. Huh? <laughs> and that's me on my first day to school. Well, I think I have a picture of our spy school. Yes, that was, that was a huge school, and we would have to line up in front of those steps to the entrance every morning. Every class lined up in strict order. And then we had to raise our hand in Heil Hitler. Well, I don't know what happened to me. One morning I decided... I really didn't want to lift my head. And before I knew it, I had a slap across my face. I was stunned, to say the least. I didn't cry, but I didn't even know what I did wrong. So uh, when I had a chance, my father had time. He would come once in a while he could come home for two, three days. So I told him about it, and he kept saying, just wait till the war is over. I get that bastard. <laughs> so uh, another thing is, uh, when we were in school, we were told exactly when the sirens went off, there was four alarm, that's advance alarm, uh, and it had a special sound. And then was full alarm meant we are under attack. And Entwarnung, the finish of it all, that was also was a long sound, wailing sound. And we were told exactly when four alarm started, we all were to grab our papers and run home. And we would run as fast as we could because... If the alarm uh, would stop wailing and it would go to Entwarnung, meaning it's over, the bombers have turned around, we had to turn around too and go to school. So it was best to really run fast. In the evening, when we prepared, we had to be prepared to get up at night and uh, have our clothes ready. 
everything we wanted to take. For me, it was most important to have my dolls ready, my little suitcase ready, because the minute we the alarm the sirens would wail, we would just quickly get downstairs into the basement. By now, we had a few refugees come, not that many, and uh, they came from the eastern part of Germany, uh, where the, uh, there was really, well, the reason was that they got scared, and they came to, to Schleswig-Holstein. And one lady had a beautiful voice, and while we were waiting for the bombers to come, she would sing all these famous songs, Lily Marlene, and all you know the famous songs, also American songs, and we loved to hear her sing. Uh, sometimes I would sneak outside, out, out of the basement, because we had some men in that area who had not been conscripted yet, and we, I would try to see what they saw, and usually our glances were towards the, the refineries because the Allies would um, put what we called a Christmas tree over it because that was the site of the bombing, and it was very interesting. And uh, I would say that children react far different to a war than grown-ups. We don't know the danger yet. And especially we in Schleswig-Holstein had not come face-to-face -face with real bombings what, and what was happening in Berlin and so on. Okay, in 1943, 1943, my mother and I went to Berlin my father was there in the caserne, in the barracks, ready for Russia. And he wanted to see us. Meanwhile, my little brother, Uwe, had naturally died, so it was just the two of us. And I will never forget, and that's what I remember, the train. It took us forever to get to Berlin because all troop transporters putting trains and all food and clothing which was uh, delivered to the troops on the front, they had go-ahead. So we were always, uh, we always had to drive on other uh, um, sheen uh, tracks and wait until all the troop trains were gone. And then we could go on to Berlin. And in Berlin, we stayed with a lady uh, my father had befriended and uh, I, I ventured out of her house. She lived in one of those big houses. I mean, and these were apartment houses. And I was warned not to go very far, but I was so intrigued by what I saw. I mean, there was a house with three uh, st uh, stories high and there was a bathtub in the third, on the third floor, and it was hanging over like in a dollhouse. And I was just fascinated. And there you can see the children's do, children do not really view it like dolls do. Um, then came evening, and the sirens went off. And Mrs. Maske was saying, get up, get up, 
get out of bed. You are not in Heidi. You are in Berlin. We have to get into the basement, but quick. Oh, I was so upset because <laughs> I thought she hurried much too much. Uh, while we were in Hamburg, uh, in Berlin, the Allies uh, bombed Hamburg, and they called it a fire bombing. It was 12 noon, and they said it was like midnight. Um, the bombs, the bombers had started in England, and now were unloading the bombs in Hamburg. The terrible thing was that people tried to escape the fire, and they ran into the bunkers where they naturally died. Uh, in Hamburg, 35,000 people died that afternoon. 200,000 were injured, and 200,000 fled. And the first refugees appeared in my home in Schleswig-Holstein right after the firebombing. My grandmother, oh, and on the way from Hamburg back to England, the Allies uh, unloaded the rest of the bombs on the DEA, Deutsche Erdölaktiengesellschaft, and on my hometown. My grandparents found themselves under their huge oak table from the draft because a bomb had gone in opposite their house. We were still in Berlin, but we were shocked when we got home to see that so much damage had been done, and that was really the only big bombing we experienced in northern Germany. What we experienced now was an onslaught of refugees coming from Hamburg. They had no place else to go but to go north. And we were forced to give up two rooms uh, and share the kitchen and the bathroom with two sets of refugees. It, uh, it wasn't very much fun, I can tell you that. And it also brought up some of the worst in humankind because many people didn't want the refugees and didn't want to take them in because it meant that they had to give up their bedroom and move also on into only one room. But, you know, they were forced, we were forced to give up the rooms. Teachers now were being forced into the army, and our classrooms grew to 70 per class. At that point... Um, we, our classes were divided into morning classes and afternoon classes. So one section, maybe it was done alphabetically, they had to go in the morning and leave, and we would go in the afternoon, and then the next week it was the other way around. It was very confusing and was not really very helpful towards learning, but we did learn. Let me just look and see what I have. I think I have some pictures here of, of Berlin, which was bombed to smithereens. In 1944, the Red Army reached German territory, and the exodus of East Germany began. In 1945, in the last several months of World War II, 700 ships 
evacuated over two million people across the Baltic. And they all wound up in our small province. Needless to say that we didn't, they didn't know what to do with all these people. My father was, before he went to the Russian front, uh, he would come home on occasions. And I noticed that when he came, he turned the radio on, but we had to cover it with blankets. And I always was wondering why. And my mother was always saying, Heine, don't, don't. Mrs. Witt downstairs hears it, and she can report us. Mrs. Witt had lost her husband early in, in the war. He was an SS officer. And uh, I used to go downstairs and look at the pictures she had on the wall. And I was somewhat envious. We didn't have these kind of pictures. There was Himmler. There was Hitler. Goebbels hung sometimes over her bed. And let's see. Yeah, they were, always took turns hanging over her bed. <laughs> so and when I mentioned it to my mother, she said, Oh, child, don't even look at those pictures. But she was very worried that my father was listening to BBC when he was on leave for a few days. She was real, and this fear that was instilled in these people that has remained until they die. As a matter of fact, I have a certain fear of anything in uniform because I was told all the time, behave yourself, don't say anything. And that is something that you as a child take with you forever. I don't remember when my father returned from Russia. All I remember was that there was a man, and he was haggard, or he was probably about 80 pounds, and he looked terrible. And I was upset that we could, he couldn't have milk. So I fa later on found out that if you give uh, milk or butter or anything like that, to somebody who has been starved, that he could die if you give him all that food. I would say the, the time in 1945, at the end of the war, uh, my, my mother and Mrs. Witt, along with other neighbors, they, they had little groups at night and they would listen to dance music, which was still playing. I mean, Hitler tried his best to keep them all upbeat to the very last. And on the eve in May, when Hitler killed himself, it came over the radio, Radio Berlin. And Mrs. Witt, now this is what hearsay. My mother said she got up, we ran after her, she threw herself over her children and said, Meine Kinder, meine Kinder, der Führer ist tot. My children, my children, the Führer has died. And my mother said, we all stood there and we thought, oh, thank God, now it may be over. And here she was in tears. They wouldn't believe that the war was over and we had lost the war. Uh, the woman in the last years of the war, in 1944, they were forced all housewives were forced 
to go into the boys' gym, into a gym at the boys' schools, uh, or at schools in general. It was particularly a boys' school I'm referring to. And there they had to knit socks. They had to peel shrimp because we lived on the ocean. We had shrimp, and they all went to the war effort. Uh, but like I said, the memories of 1945 and 1946 were the worst because Germany had uh, lost the war. It, there were the economy was had vanished. There was no economy anymore. There was nothing left. There was no food. There was no mail. People, uh, uh, soldiers came home from Russia. Uh, or where they could escape. I mean, many were sent to Siberia. Uh, everybody feared Stalin and tried to get out of that area. Unfortunately, too many soldiers were fighting in that area, in the war, in the Russian front. And many were then either killed or sent to Siberia, and they never came back. And right after World War II, Every noon and evening, you would hear search. The Red Cross would place, uh, would have a program in which they uh, searched for people. Like a mother had lost a child uh, in a train coming from the east. From the east, and many would say, "Here, how can you lose a child?" Well the trains were packed to capacity and the mother wanted to get a little milk or something and maybe stepped out for a minute and the train went on and the child was on the train. It was horrible. Many children became refugees. They were picked up along the road. Maybe mother had died. Father was nowhere nowhere to be found. He was probably in, in Russia. So that was very, very sad to hear all this, this tragedy which Hitler brought to us. So, um, hmm? yeah, go ahead. And these are all pictures. This is, this is a picture of the bombs in my hometown, which fell. My grandparents' house was on the right-hand side. On this, you cannot see it, but was next door to that one. And here you can see a little bit the two windows on the extreme right. And people looking at, at the damage. You can go ahead and change. Okay, here are young children still in their Nazi uh, uniforms that they all wore. They are not any older then 10, 12, and they were helping refugees with their belongings. These are the kind of uh, shelters which were put up in my hometown, even on school property, schoolyards. And the refugees lived in those for a long time because it took a long time for Germany to recover. So I would say five to six years people stayed in these. I had a friend who lived uh, in one room with her 
grandfather and her brother and her mother. And they had, um, uh, they had taken a clothesline and hung the clothesline, used the clothesline as a divider with blankets down so that they had a little privacy. But they lived there for a long time. Let's see, maybe we have some more. Okay, and this is a map of refugees coming into Schleswig-Holstein from Poland. Danzig was German. All these are now heading toward, they were going to escape uh, Stalin's Russia. They were all afraid of Stalin. And I have to tell you, the first uh, names I knew were not of the American president, but of the cabinet, of Stalin's cabinet. There was a dog, and his name was Molotov. <laughs> I knew who Molotov was. He was a foreign minister of Russia under Stalin. So I, I knew a lot about that because I heard talk about it. And when my father came home, he kept saying, oh, we sh the Americans should have just gone straight towards Moscow. Man, he said, Moscow, the, the Russians were just as poor off as the Germans. So he said, boy, the Americans could have just taken them all. So let's see, do I have some more pictures? Ah, since there was a shortage of fuel, of coal, because we were still all heating with coal, this was placed on Litfaszorn, those are um, round pillars, and they still are in Germany, and who has ever been in Germany has seen them. And you plaster uh, these kind of or advertisements or something like that on these Litfaszorn, and this appeared. And that is Kohlenklau. And I, as a child, would stand in front of him and think, God, he's so ugly. I wonder what he is supposed to be. I did not understand it. But Cohen Clow, that's somebody who steals coal and takes it away from the troops or later on from the people. So if somebody would venture to get to the train station at night when the trains with coal came through, and, you know, and they were guarded, these trains were guarded, but I know... My aunt was a colon clow. She, she would, uh, I, I don't know how they got the guard to be detract, uh, distracted. And then they, she and a friend climbed aboard this, tr this wagon and get coals down and then run them home on a little, little uh, wagon. And it was terrible. I would stay at my grandmother's house sometimes, and my grandmother didn't live so far away, and it was all whispering, oh, and the windows were opened, and quickly all the coal was distributed. <laughs> so that was coal and cloud. Let's see the next. Now, this is uh, the Husum, the town I was, uh, I was I'm very familiar with because I have family here. And uh, that's where I was born. It's called the gray city on the ocean because it's always gray. It's always raining. I think we have some of Hyde, too. 
Yeah, this is also Huzon. It's a very, very nice town. Go ahead. Is that it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is, oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh, this is my father. You can go back there. One more back. This was my father, 1941, and he was here in Jaroslaw, Poland, but the last place he was, that was in Belgium, I think, and uh, the last place he was was in Chitomir, which is near Kiev in the Ukraine, and uh, he got along fine with the Russian peasants, uh, and I think he did a lot of black marketing. Uh, my mother would have to go and get yeast, <laughs> and I didn't know what she, why she, why he wanted yeast. Well, they were brewing their own, whatever beer or what, in Kiev. With my father, and, and my mother used to say, "I hate to go to the bakers and ask for a lot of yeast because they know darn well what I'm doing with it. I'm sending it to the front." <laughs> so. Yeah, that that oh, that's my hometown. I this is this is almost still the way it is now. Yes, uh huh. This is Heide. I was confirmed in this, baptized and confirmed in this church. And that's where we oh, that's market marketplace, and Geestrasse. This is where you have cafes and you can sit nicely and have afternoon coffee and cake, very good cake. And every Saturday morning, since years, mark, uh, Saturday morning is market day. There's a church again. Yeah, that's Heide. Ah, okay. Husum, you see where the little circle is? And uh, Heide is right there with the M, A. That's where Heidi is. So we were not that far away. After the, uh, the we were in the English zone, zone after World War II, and I remember that after the war in May, we were told to stay indoors on a certain day because the English were coming. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder what they look like. I don't know why I thought they looked different from us. I thought maybe they had only one eye, like I had a fairy tale book and it was right smack in the middle. Oh, I was so disappointed. I was, we were all at the, oh. I tell you what, I was sitting on the couch, I mean leaning out of the window because I was waiting for the British to come. I wanted to see them. And then all they did stop at uh, the government buildings and talked to the mayor or I don't know who. So we didn't get to see any British soldiers until later. And then they came and took the nicest homes that Heide had to offer. And there were some in our vicinity. And we didn't like the people who lived in there. But the British took it over. And boy, did we have fun. <laughs> I mean, they didn't care. They played with their feet on the piano, and we thought as kids that was really neat. <laughs> they also baked good bread. We hadn't had much, but we had black bread, rye bread, 
but we didn't have the kind of bread that the, the British had. So they gave us bread and oh man, chocolate and so we were we were in paradise after they were came. Now I have to tell you something. Um, this part was all Denmark at one time, and uh, war was fought with pressure over these possessions. My grandfather, who lived in Husum, was a what my grandfather in Heide said was a spekdene, a bacon dane. He, my grandfather in Husum, voted for the Danish party to take over. And my grandfather in Heide was Prussian. And he said, Opa Frey only does it because he, they have bacon and butter. So he called them the Bacon Danes. <laughs> but I understand there are still uh, Danish schools in Husum now. And German, uh, Germans have the choice. They can send their children to the Danish school where they naturally learn Danish. And there are quite a few pro-Danish people in that part of Schleswig-Holstein. The dividing line is the river Eider, which, let's see, you can hardly see it, but there is a river, and uh, right after World War II, uh, we, we could not reach Husum because you had to have a, an ID card and a permit to get into that territory. Everything was very, very restricted, naturally. So, well, let's see. Let me see if I missed something. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm already almost done. Yeah, are there any questions? Yes. What happened to the principal when your dad got home? To what? The, print, the school principal. Oh, yeah. My father was barely home and a little bit, you know, in better health. He was ready to confront the principal and, and someone else, too, he didn't like. But you know what? Those kind of people had left my hometown real quick. Yes. Uh, everybody who was a Nazi had to go through a and Nazifizierungs progress, which means he had to be uh, cleared or cleaned of his Nazi sentiments. <laughs> I don't really know that work very well, but everybody swore, you know, I'm no longer a Nazi. And I guess these two, uh, these two uh, the principal and the other teacher, they left town. To this day, when my brother, he is really into that part of the hi uh, history. And every time I go home, he will show me a big, uh, a large estate and says, do you know who lived there? That, that, that Nazi. That's where he's hiding out. And I mean, here we are so many years later, and people still don't forget. So any other questions? Yes. Uh, just, I, of course, have all kinds of... Uh, huh? Reflections, uh, hearing you talk, you gave an excellent presentation, by the way, just really outstanding. And, and I'll start by saying that you corroborated the stories I've been hearing for years from Ruth. She would be here this morning, and unfortunately yeah. she's got flu and was yeah. very sick all night long. 
I can hardly wait to get home and tell her what you said. <laughs> but several several things came to mind when uh, you were talking about being slapped, for example, and uh, meeting your first uh, Brit and so forth, and, and uh, the refugees. And I'd just like to make a couple of comments in, in response. As far as the, uh, the Heil Hitler is concerned, Ruth, of course, was looking forward when she was in very far eastern Germany, and she and her family were refugees leaving, as many, many others did, so as not to be there when the Russians showed up. And uh, <clears throat> so they, they wound up in Bavaria, and they were looking forward to seeing their first American soldier. And this American came through, and he did not look like a German because he was a black man. And, oh, <laughs> and yeah. she, she, of course, was a, a, just didn't quite know what to say, so she said, Heil Hitler! <laughs> 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 and, and then immediately realized that, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> But anyway, that was her experience with the Heil Hitler thing. Everyone, of course, was taught to do that. It became heaven, didn't it? I mean, you just thought that you did. Uh, two or three other things. You mentioned the, uh, the people, uh, you saw the best of people and the worst of people. They were on the road, and she was asked a question just last night in the supper club about, well, where'd you find food? Well, all along the way, farmers would help them out by, by furnishing food. So that you were seeing the best of people in those times too. And you mentioned the surprise that people had, how surprised they were to have lost the war. Well, they were in this very far eastern part of Germany, and they were hearing every day that we are winning the war in Russia. And the odd thing was that the soldiers were all going west. <laughs> and it was kind of a clue that maybe they better not stick around. So, uh, You but, know, uh, my, my, uh, some of my school buddies, their fathers had been officers. So I thought, well, mine was too. And my father heard that one time, and he said, what are you telling them? I was scooter shooter ass in the last regiment. <laughs> he said, I stayed right around where we got food. I never wanted to be promoted. And he said, I never was. <laughs> so, but I made him an officer. I'll just make a very brief comment, too, and, and sit down here. But uh, she, too, was warned by her parents, or especially her father, to never repeat anything outside that was being said in the house because they would have their little meetings together and talk about what was going on, and she wanted to be sure that she, um, he wanted to be sure she never said anything to anybody as to what was being said. There were quite a few prisoner of wars, prisoner of war in our hometown, and um, I re uh, and some were kept in this big, in another large school, and we had to pass that school. My grandfather always picked me up from school, and then he would go. He wanted to go to the other side, right by the fence, where he would see the prisoner of war walking, and so, and also uh, the, uh, the guard. And the guard naturally was a Nazi, and he would then. Do like this and spit out when the guard was close to him. I thought that was rather interesting. Wonder why he did that. So I told my mother, Oh, she had a fit. Don't you ever do that again, Opa. Don't you ever, because that puts us all in jeopardy. I remember that. So no more spitting. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, this isn't a question, just a comment. Uh, when I was in the ninth grade, and this must have been in 1949, 
uh, our class was joined by a, a young girl from Germany who was uh, had come to the United States uh, earlier. She had worked as a as a uh, housemaid or something for a few years before she moved to our small town. Turned out her parents had been to the United States earlier, and her older brother was an American citizen. He was born in the United States. But foolishly, they went back to Germany. She was born in Germany. Her brother was conscript, conscripted into the German army, although I, I think she was about four years older than I was. But her, her main complaint was, we all wondered why the, why the Allies didn't go ahead and go invade Russia. I mean, the fear of the Russians was terrible. She was from northern Germany also. I can't remember exactly where, but exactly what you had said. Are you talking about Helen? Helene? No. No. No, no, no. No, no. This, this was a, a friend of mine when I was growing up oh. in town. Uh, yeah. Her name was Ella Erp, E-R-P, which I think means peas, right? Does an erp mean a p, a p-e-a, a, what you eat? Erp, e-r-p was her last name. Oh, erp. Erp. Yeah. Erp. Ella Erp. Good North, good North German name. She was from, she was from North Germany somewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't remember right. where. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. too young. That was my yeah. first experience with mm-hmm. ever seeing a German. Oh. <laughs> Well, like I said, I was disappointed when I saw the British and they didn't have just one eye on them. <laughs> so, any more questions? Did you ever hear of any uh, men who refused to go into the army? There was no refusing. Well, the next I mean, thing would be shot. Yeah, yeah like right. my father. Right. They marched around the marketplace, he and his buddies. Now, some were the communists, some were socialists. Some were social democrats, they all marched. And nothing happened until they all were told they had to report for duty. There's nothing then you could do. So, protest, you know, it, it is easy to say protest. It's much too late. When it gets to that point where, there is, where somebody has so much power, it's too late. There's no more protesting because you will then wind up like many did in concentration camps. Okay, I've read that uh, there is an area in Austria, the southeastern part of Austria, where 45% of the SS uh, men came from, and that over the last several decades, that area of Europe has the highest suicide rate. And I, so my question, do you know anything more about this? Do you, I mean, I, I, would, I would myself like to tie it to the war, but I don't really know. Yeah. No, I don't know anything about it. I was really shocked. Uh, my friend, uh, neighborhood friend who lives in London, she gave me a book, and then she said, read this. This is about our home province. Uh, we didn't know that at least 80% was pro-Nazi. We were so shocked. We thought that they were maybe there was 20% Nazis. It was just the opposite. So many Nazis, many farmers. But since we had so many farms and, and uh, estates, uh, and these people, they didn't need to go to war. And they were really supported by Hitler and his cronies. So they, they were in favor of him. You know. 
Now, uh, uh, you were talking about Ruth. Ruth has, uh, many Germans have far different experiences, and they are tragic. We, uh, while the war was still going on, we received three or four girls who came in to our school. And my, they were so young. And later on, we found out what had happened to them. Terrible, 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 terrible. It's unbelievable. They had fled um, Mamel and Posen, that's all Poland now, and Königsberg, which is now Russia, Kaliningrad. And they had fled, and then they were raped. And It's unbelievable. Naturally, these three, four girls who came to us, they were so much different from us because they had already grown up. We were still kids. Is there a final question? Anybody? Well, let's thank uh, Elke for her presentation. Well, I tried. And next week we have uh, Kate Potter is presenting a video and discussion back to the Darwinism and Evolution and Biblical Chronology, I believe is the title, but I'm not real sure. job. <laughs> was I missed on Wednesday, uh, Thursday night? It was a shame I had that clash. Were you there Thursday for the leadership thing? Just meant we got to talk about you. It was really great. Cool. Nice to hear you guys. <laughs> Still the skit is very important. It is. I can't, actually can't wait. <clears throat> All right. This is on too, though. Testing, one, two, three. Need to bump it up. We shall read that resonance is our offertory, is our offering this month. We are giving to resonance. And are you doing the announcements and good? Because I, I want to make sure that we announce Joseph's uh, upcoming... Can you hear this? How's that sound? Can you hear me? I'm not. Uh, I'm not hearing it. Oh, I had turned it on, and now you should be able to hear me. Yeah, hallelujah. Sounds a little too loud. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Nancy. <laughs> We're, we're finally doing a mic check, which we should have been doing long ago. How does that sound? Does that sound good to you? Great. Fred says yes. Fred knows all. Okay. I was, I was going to mention the knitting group because that's a new one. We're going to mention Joseph. Oh, yes, yes. We're going to mention going deeper. Yes. And 
Richard asked me to tell him this was the last day to oh. say anything to the task force. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. And you can tease them. They've got a great theme. But mum's the word. Great. Saturday. 